I did uh, one of the things that's hard about the social media age is you get news instantly. So at 4.35 this morning, I checked my notifications and I saw the news about Orlando. And so uh, as your pastor, if you're a guest, I'm not your pastor, maybe yet or maybe never, that's fine. Whatever the details come out, don't get political and don't get crazy. The Bible calls us to pray for those hurting and weep with those who are weeping. So do that. Do that well. Uh, there's over 50 people dead and 53 people hurt in a mass shooting in a nightclub in Orlando. And all the pundits will be out later. Pray and do what we can, right? Because as we all know, this is a broken world. And uh, we'll continue to try and be salt and light, as John said. So that's tough news to hear as a nation. And... Uh, don't get caught in the trap later this week with all the debates. Weep with those who weep and pray. And we'll see what God does. And then this morning I get to preach a sermon on marriage and divorce in Matthew chapter 5. So it's been a good morning for me, right? I get, a, I get woken up with that, as we all did, and then I got to preach uh, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Let me read it and I'll pray because I need prayer. Jesus just talked about lust. And we defined lust as a church for two weeks not simply sexual immorality or sexual thoughts, but it is the craving we all have to objectify people, stomp on them, and get what we want. That's biblical lust. Now that can happen in a sexual way, that can happen in a political way, that can happen in a play for power, money, or greed. And then Jesus goes right into this little section about marriage. So let me pray. And we'll try and dive in. We'll have Matthew 5, 31 up here in one sec. Father, help us. We do pray for our country and this world. We pray for hurting families. Do a mighty work. And remind us to weep and pray and serve where we can. Father, in this difficult passage, which has often been preached from a bully pulpit or with an agenda, give me the grace not to be a bully and let my only agenda be you and your good news. So I pray for the people, I pray for our church, and I pray for all of our hearts. Let us see what your son had to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you, if you've been around church, have probably heard the divorce sermon. Um, growing up in church, I heard it about once every two years, and I heard one slant, and I don't need to, I don't agree with that is what I'm saying anymore. Because I'm trying to see the scriptures for what it says and who Jesus says to be. And I'm trying to study and get us to a point where we can see beyond the American, Western context of a book and a man who lived 2,000 years ago. That's where we got to go. Okay? What I won't do, I promise, a few disclaimers, I will not reopen wounds and re-traumatize those of you who have gone through a divorce. I won't do it from this pulpit. I won't do it ever. It's not my job. I won't do that. The pastors who tend to do that, I have coffee with once and I say, God bless you. That's not my intent. That wasn't Jesus' intent. Another disclaimer, I don't want to overwhelm you and bore you with the statistics about marriage and divorce in America. They're pretty much pointless. <laughs> I'm not going to do that either. I used to preach that sermon, hopefully I've matured. What I am going to try and do for the next 20 plus minutes is show you the heart of God in the Sermon on the Mount and what he has to say about marriage, okay? 
So here we go. Matthew 5.31. It's funny how John didn't have this scripture. Does that ever make you think? Anyways, anyways. If it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, real quick. This is old covenant language. Guys, when Moses was around, were just like guys today, a lot of us. They got a new wife every year. They did. That's what some of the Hebrew men did. Now, just to let you know, back then, five, 8,000 years ago, women had, women had absolutely no rights. None. And they were treated as property, literally property. There was even teachings and shenanigans being played, and you can look this up, and it's founded. Many scholars commented on it. If your wife didn't properly prepare a couple of meals, you could send her on the road. That's how easy it was to shove her aside. That's what was happening. So Moses, trying to put some semblance in this thing, said, let's at least make it official for the Hebrew children. Let's get a certificate of divorce so she won't be cast off, so there will be some finality to it, so she might be able to find a different situation. That's what Jesus was referring to. So he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's the old covenant. That's the old standard. What did Jesus do in the New Testament? He fulfilled and then raised the bar, right? In the old covenant, most Hebrew guys would go, you want me to be married to the same woman for life? And they would go, Maybe 10 years. I can hang for 10 years. Maybe 12. Okay, if she's really nice, I've been married 17 years this September, I'll go 16 years. But this notion of married for life was somewhat foreign to God's people. It just didn't happen a lot. Life expectancy was different. People had, I get all that. But here's what Jesus is speaking to. Next verse, verse 32. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, by the way, who is Jesus talking to right now, men or women? Not women, men, in this part of the sermon. It's not rocket science, you can see it. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the terms or ground of sexual morality, we get that, infidelity, makes, this is the hard part, makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It would have been really awesome if I made Pastor Jeff preach this passage, huh? <laughs> have fun with that one. <laughs> the point is, this is a hard passage to preach. You see that? First of all, what does it mean? Second of all, what does it mean? And third of all, what is Jesus saying? Because it looks almost unbiblical. So Jesus in this New way, this new and living way, the kingdom, the gospel says, I am raising the standard. And then he says this, what does he say? If there is infidelity, it's kind of a no-brainer, even in God's kingdom. That's what he's saying, right? Duh, you've broken your covenant. We can talk about that. But then Jesus says, makes the woman commit adultery. Believe it or not, that verse and a couple other verses in Matthew 19, if we have time we get there, when they're positioned a certain way, can really do damage to women. And they've been used in some circles over the last 
two centuries to really spiritually abuse women at times. Because Jesus is saying something, but we got to figure out what. In this verse, he's dealing with ethics. He's not dealing with the legal code. There's a difference. Let me try and explain it. The Sermon on the Mount is not a legal code. We don't take it as letter of law, right? We take it as the heart of God being put forth in Jesus, so we have to see between the lines and go, what is going on? If any of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor, a spy, (laughs) World War II times, a martyr, and an apologist. He was a brilliant man. He wrote some amazing things. Some of the stuff he would write cuts you to the heart because a lot of it he was writing in and around World War II, and he actually was martyred just a few months before the war ended. But commentating on this particular ethic, the kind of ethic that Jesus brings, he puts forth another situation, and I hope to explain it like this. Let's say I'm a raging alcoholic. I'm not. But let's say I am. You all know it. My nine-year-old doesn't know it. Ashlyn up here in the the little softball uniform earlier. Let's say Ashlyn's teacher knows it, and Ashlyn's in third grade. Let's say next Tuesday, this Tuesday coming up, last day of school, Ashlyn's teacher says, I got one more question before we let the, the year out. Ashlyn's smiling, she's happy. In front of the whole class, the teacher goes, Ashlyn, is your dad a raging alcoholic? She's nine. What's Ashlyn going to say? No. Even if she might have some suspicion that I'm not right. No, he's not. What's the most loving thing Ashlyn could say? No, that's, that's my dad. I love him. He's for me. I'm for him. He tries and takes care of me. He's not. Did Ashlyn lie? Yeah, she lied. Is that a sin? Yes. But here's the ethical dilemma Bonhoeffer points to in this ethical dilemma in the New Testament. I, I love it. You guys have never thought about anything like that way. That's why Bonhoeffer's brilliant, right? Ashlyn lied. But the motives of the teacher putting her in an impossible situation is a grave sin as well. And that's where Jesus is getting to. The teacher, the schoolmaster who put the eight or nine-year-old on the spot, knowing the answer and whatever motive he was doing, Jesus is saying right here is a huge issue. And he unpacks it. What men were doing when they heard the Sermon on the Mount, even good men were passing women along as what? Property. Passing along. Passing along. Upgrading, that's weird. All these things. Every so often, men in this culture had no commitment to women, treated women poorly, and objectified them constantly. Is there any doubt why Jesus brought this marriage section right on the tails of what? Lusting, right? What Jesus is exposing in the culture in the day is there's a lustful aura over men in this society, and all they do is get what they want from women and kick them out. And if you were divorced, even with their certificate in certain subcultures in this time, it was almost a death sentence for women. And Jesus says what? Enough. 
Stop putting women in an impossible situation. Like the school thing, right? Men, you realize if you move on and objectify her, you are putting her and them in a no-win situation. And he's speaking to men, he's saying, we don't do it that way anymore. I've come to fulfill the law and raise the standard, and I'm here to tell you, now the marriage covenant is for life as it was intended in the garden. That's Matthew 19. So Jesus is doing something much bigger than don't get divorced and don't go to Capitol Hill or whatever we do with marriage. He's exposing our hearts. He's showing what's in there. Hear me, ladies got off a lot the first 10 minutes of the sermon, right? But in our culture, in the way we live now, in the state we live now, California, with the ease of getting divorced now, we have to be guarded against what Jesus was teaching both men and women, right? People are not property. People are not to be moved aside just for gain, just for the pursuit of our own desires. And Jesus confronts this. What Jesus does here is he puts marriage in its proper context and he elevates women. That's what he's just done. He is a good God. He is a loving God. He brings clarity and he brings it with a kind word. What has Jesus done here? Another debunking. He assumes remarriage. You ever see that when you read that? That's the impossible situation, right? Jesus, in his grace and mercy, is putting the end to the way it was, even with good, holy, Jewish, or believing families, and upping the stakes of marriage and telling us God's heart what it really is. Some of you have probably been put in an impossible situation. Some of us maybe have done things which maybe this passage becomes intensely real. I'm going to end in a few moments with the word of grace and hope for all of us, no matter where we are on the relational spectrum. Single, married, divorced, in between, it's complicated, wherever we're at, right? But Jesus has words for us. Real quick, Matthew 19. This is the bigger section where Jesus is tested. Matthew 19, verse 3. So Jesus says this little tidbit on the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses Moses and what was, and then he raises the standards. And then in Matthew 19, he's wrapping up his ministry. And look at verse 3, Matthew 19, 3. And Pharisees came to him and what? Tested him by asking is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Why would they ask that? Because obviously some leader, that was his position. Think in church. One of the prophets, one of the rabbis, Hillel, he said, Jewish gentlemen, you can divorce your wife for any reason. And don't be confused by Pharisees. A lot of the movies like the Gospel of John, even the Passion of the Christ, when we see the Pharisees, what do we see? We usually see the high priest in the movies. You know all the garb? 
all the clothes and phylacteries and robes, that wasn't the Pharisees. Pharisees were normal people who had normal jobs, who tied themselves to a religious belief and system, and believe it or not, divorce was rampant among the Pharisees. You never would think that, right? Rampant. So one of the leaders, one of the position leaders, we'll call you the Hillel folk, okay? You guys believe divorce for any reason. Burnt breakfast, kicked a dog, didn't clean the house, you're gone. And you guys are Shimei or Shemai, depending on your translation, another leader. You said only for sexual morality. So did you guys get along at cocktail parties? No, because if we talk about po politics or religion, do we get along well if we're opposing? No, you can be on. No, things happen. So they go to the master, Jesus, and say, let me have it. What is it? And do both sides think Jesus is on their side? Yeah, that's what we do with God, right? Well, Jesus has to be on our side because he's Jesus. Jesus has to be on our side because we have Moses and Jesus. So there are some things there too. But you're at odds, and that's the situation. So they came to him and said, what's the deal with divorce? Verse 4, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Verse 5, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, so they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. Don't you love Jesus? He just quotes scripture. Usually, if you want to not talk to anybody on a plane, open your Bible and read it. There'll be no conversation. None. Or if you want to end a debate, usually, if you humbly quote scripture, you might make some people mad, but it usually doesn't go much farther, right? They're like, oh, I get what you're, okay. Jesus doesn't answer the question per se. He just quotes Genesis. Is that good enough for the Pharisees? You know the story, no way. Verse seven, they said to him, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So they go back with his little scripture and say, how come our guy Moses started giving out divorce certificates? Verse 8, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of the heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Meaning, you folks and the cravings of your lustful desires went against what God had from the beginning and started divorcing people as much as you wanted. Right? And then he goes into a thing about eunuchs and celibates, and he affirms single people. He says that's a good thing. So why am I quoting this? Why am I going to Matthew 19? One part is, real quickly, if you are single, not married, or may never be married, you are not a second-class Christian. That's all I want to say. You are loved and you are valuable and God has potentially more work in many ways for you to do. But the other reason, it seems that Jesus sided with Rabbi Shimei, only divorce for sexual immorality, 
But there's a bigger section, there's a bigger thing here as we close. Hang with me. Look at verse 10. Matthew 19.10. This is Jesus' guys who's been hanging with him for at least two years. Do you get to know someone when you hang around with them for two years? That's why some marriages fail, right? Because you get to know them. No, I'm kidding. I shouldn't joke about marriages. But we get to know people, right? The disciples hear this and say, wait a minute. You want men and women to hang out for life? If such is the case of a man with his wife, why is anybody getting married? So I only bring that up to shock you. We see this divorce passage in Scripture, and we see it as such a black and white issue in America. And his own disciples were like, this guy's speaking crazy talk. We have to understand, women, when Jesus was teaching and walking and breathing, were considered objects and property and were cast aside for anything. Jesus came and his primary message was not simply divorce, it was stop objectifying people. That's what he's getting at, and he's using every context, singleness, family life, marriage, anger, retaliation, vengeance, worship, giving gifts at altars. He's taking all this and saying, we are not living like that anymore. My kingdom doesn't function like that. Treat people as human beings, not as property. I wouldn't even have to take a poll. One of the reasons is when we objectify people, our hearts are ripped open, especially on the grounds in the case of what? Divorce. I haven't gone through it personally, but I hear it's the most brutal thing this side of the grave. And my word to you who have experienced that trauma is sing that song in your heart and trust Jesus and ask him to prove himself in the midst of your pain. Jesus, my heart's ripped open. Prove yourself to me. Prove your goodness and mercy and work on my heart because I know it's been damaged through this relationship. My other charge to you as a pastor, you are not done if you're divorced. Even if it was your fault, there's mercy and grace offered. Even if you were the one objectifying everyone and it was your fault and your kids don't talk to you, my charge to you is come to Christ, receive the healing, and go follow him and make it what? Right, or at least as best you can. That's the message of the gospel. Restoration, reconciliation, not banishment. Oh, they've been divorced? Kick them out. You know who says that? Satan. Last example. I don't want to throw the preacher under the bus, but uh, Matt Chandler told this story. He's a pastor. He was at a big college ministry, 2,000 kids in Texas, probably beautiful kids, you know, late teens, early 20s. And he had a preacher up there, and there was a big purity movement in the late 90s, early 2000s. Just don't lose your virginity. Just don't lose your virginity, and you will be blessed. And there's some truth in that, but if your idol is your virginity, you're going to fall. So what this pastor did, large group, is he took a rose, beautiful rose. And in the beginning of his sermon, he passed it around all throughout, right? He said, smell it, touch it, taste it. Not taste it, but do your thing with the rose. And toward the end of his sermon, he said, where's my rose? And some girl ran it up, and what happened to the rose after 2,000 kids touched it? It was like that, right? 
And he held up the rose in front of 2,000 Christian and seeking kids, and he says, now do any of you want to be like that before Jesus? And just shame, right? Just shame. Imagine an 18 or 19-year-old kid who made some mistakes. How would they feel in the house of God at that point? Like death? And the message of the story is, because he asked the question, does Jesus want this? And it was the shame question, right? And what I'm telling you today is what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount, this new ethic, this kingdom coming forward is, that's exactly who Jesus came for. The broken, the ripped apart, those needing love, the sick because he's the physician, the hurting because he's the great healer, the questioning because he's the great counselor, the divorced because he's the great God of the universe. Hear me, I'm for marriage 100%. If your marriage is hard, fight for your marriage Walk with people who will get you to the feet of the cross humbly and work on the things you need to work on. But see the big picture here. Marriage is mentioned. I'm not skating the issue. The biggest issue here in this whole middle section is we do not objectify anyone anymore. Stop it, Jesus says, and seek life. And when we do that as a church, when we do that as a people, we begin to walk in the abundant life God offers. When you objectify people, you are in bondage. Because your heart will never be satisfied. Because there'll always be another person and another, what, scheme usually, right? But when we let that go, when we see people as Jesus does, when we see women as Jesus does, when we see all people as Jesus does, we're freed to go be salt and light. That was kind of a rant the last five minutes, but I hope it was an encouraging rant. Um, Jesus is for marriage. Jesus is for people more than marriage, and that's not blasphemy. Sometimes the church makes marriage this idol, right? Jesus came for people. Jesus desires that people would worship him, believe in him, become married if called, and walk in humility and grace. Jesus also came for divorced people, for people that have screwed up. Jesus desired that they would come to him truly, that he would clean up and dust off, and whatever your lot has that you would walk with him. We're going to continue with oaths on Father's Day, speaking with integrity. That was just the calendar. Guys, you are all, there's not a word, I won't make up a word. You have integrity in this church. I'm not blasting anybody. We're going to walk down that road. What does Jesus say about our words, right? There's a whole method to his madness. And I hope you see marriage as part of his puzzle, but he wants us to really love people well. And uh, if you're not married, be careful what you pray for because you will be called to love someone often well. That's hard to do. Let me pray and we'll conclude. And as Layla said, I think there's a ton of food so we might get doggy bags or whatever we're called, right? So go eat in fellowship. And uh, three weeks there'll be a barbecue. We'll have more about that. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for the church, this church and other churches. Thank you for Jesus. Father, I pray for the hearts and the people in the room that have gone through divorce. And I pray that you would, Spirit, come and encourage and convict if needed, but restore and sustain and give grace. Father, I pray for the marriages in the room, my own 
included that need prayer, Lord. Strengthen them. Um, humble us. And let us be servants at home and here and in the community. And Father, I pray for the single people in the room. Encourage them. Don't let them see themselves as second class or not measuring up, but give them wisdom and grace to serve you well. And if and when you do bring marriage to the table, prepare them and guard them. Father, give us a heart not to desire cravings of lust and domination, but to be freed from those in Christ to go serve and love all people for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.